everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. The Frogs win 52-10 over the Louisiana Tech. I call them the Texters. I call them La Tech. I know they don't appreciate it. But hey, it was a big win for the Frogs, and it looks like we are going to go bowling. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. I have Billy and Jeremy and Daniel with me here tonight. Fellas, you all holding up all right this evening? Yeah, we've made it. The, the The Saints are turning around, so I'm happy. And my, my Louisiana family has survived a, a thorough thrashing at the hands of the Frogs. So everything's okay in my neck of the woods. You know, it's okay out here in my neck of the woods too, Billy. It's cold and rainy, but man, I'm just wondering where Marcel Brooks is. I, I, I can't figure it out. He's, he's repping the wrong purple right now, apparently. I gotcha. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with him, but I, I really don't care that D winners went from basically playing, you know, offense in a 2A school to tearing it up in the Big 12. I want to know where Marcel Brooks is. <laughs> hey, Jeff, speaking of law tech and how people don't like that, how about Jeff McCain calling me out for using LT on the, on the board and then people upvoted left and right? Hey, man, it's a lot easier to top out LT on a game thread than it is Law Tech every other post, okay? Give me a break, Jeff. Oh, well, you know, I think we all can agree that the world is kind of on edge right now. And then you get the, you know, the self-controlled, self-differentiated fans that we have on a message board hiding behind an anonymous avatar. They seem to be pretty reasonable about things. So I, I'm, I'm kind of with the people on this one, Jeremy. <laughs> Hey, at least Jeff doesn't really hide behind it. His 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 is pretty dang close to his real name. I know. I, I, man, Jeff's such a good dude. I'm just giving him a hard time. He'll appreciate the shout out. I know though. He will. He'll go tell his wife about it, and his wife will say once again, "I don't care." <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, let's let's get inside this game. Um, I don't know where to begin. So we, we got nothing but great things to talk about, minus one or two moments. So. Let's go ahead and look at the very first drive that the Frogs had. Billy, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. Uh, tell me, what do you think about a player that you have to look up their number to know who they are, getting the t- getting their number called on fourth and goal down at the north end zone? I, I mean, I didn't like it, obviously. I feel like if you have all these running backs, you can do something like that with uh, a player that's more familiar to everybody. But, I mean, I, I had no idea who Chase Curtis was, and I figured the first question would be to Jeremy, who is Chase Curtis? Because he tried to get a more drawn-out yes. response about it from GP after the game. So, Jeremy, if you want to enlighten some people on the on the Chase Curtis story. Jeff, um, well, his, his recruitment was crazy. I remember that, man. It was just a five-star war. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. I'm deeply saddened that you're you're using this podcast to discuss who in the heck Chase Curtis was because I only posted about him about four or five times, even two days ago, talking about uh, people people were asking about Pro Wells and everything else, and I said there's a guy. That, I mean, I've mentioned the kid multiple times, and then even a couple of uh, people on the board were like. I follow this site religiously. I've never heard his name mentioned. Then I had to literally go back, and I'm still going to go back and find every thread that I've talked about this kid and link it so you guys can understand. Maybe just read some of the things I write. Maybe read some of the things. That, just because it's a walk-on doesn't mean it's not a good player. But this Chase is a good player that they, they've they been kind of high on, even since John Stevens left I think John Stevens, when he went entered the transfer portals, when I started talking about him even more, watch out for this kid. He's been getting a lot of reps. 
they like his size. Uh, he played quarterback in high school, but he's moved to receiver. He's a guy that they feel could be another pro Wells type. Did I agree with that fourth and whatever it was, fourth and goal call? No. I mean, like like Gary said after the game, he probably would have put someone else back there uh, that he trusts a little bit more, maybe one of those really, really good freshman running backs, uh, maybe even have uh, Max run it a little bit. Maybe uh, Marco Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, it, this just reeks of one of those – deals where it seemed like and, and i'm not talking bad about chase because i think he's going to be a good player and and like i said people have been speaking volumes about him but i think this is one of those deals where kind of a, a reward for uh being so good in practice uh improve and i think he'll uh, end up being one of those players a walk-on player that ends up getting a scholarship just because um the value for him is has just increased so much since he's got on campus he's he's a lot uh, better player than they figured he was going to be. So uh, maybe not the best first impression, but I think we'll see some plays later on in his career that we'll like a whole lot more than that one play. If he would have scored, everybody would have loved it. And everybody would have called him brilliant. And, you know, you got to walk on that. Um, he probably would have been awarded a scholarship in the locker room after the game. And it would have been one of those viral videos. But, <laughs> you know, I feel bad for the kid. He's going to get picked on. Um, but, hey, that's just kind of how the game unfolded. The good news is everything kind of went up and to the right from there. So I thought Clint Foster's video today was was awesome when he, when he was doing the Chase Curtis bit. I, I laughed out loud on that one. Yeah, if you're not following him on Twitter, you need to. I'm sorry, Billy, go ahead. Well, I think it's the funniest one he's done so far. Uh, the Thanksgiving one was great, obviously, but I think this one, as far as like a, an individual game uh, recap, I think it was probably the best one he's done so far. <laughs> I mean, him talking about Chase Curtis was literally literally probably 90% of the fans um, that that didn't have a clue who, who Chase was. And, I mean, he <laughs> so funny on that. You guys need to check it out. I think I it's know how long it too, Mark. I want to. I want to know how long it takes him to cut a two-minute and twenty-second video. I bet that. I bet that's over an hour. Oh, easily. I think oh, not just cutting it, but also the having the to record all the bits and the sticks and stuff, and get and write it, obviously. So mm-hmm. I bet it's a solid four-hour process. Wow, that's a labor of love, man. I know that for a fact. That's a labor of love. Oh. Good for him. All right, well, let's flip over to all the other things that went right. Frogs put up 52 points. They rushed for 333 yards. Um, When you look at Miller and Evans and Johnston, and then, of course, throw in Duggan, that's a whole lot of offense that's coming back next season and potentially the next season and maybe even the next season. So the Frogs looked really strong on the offensive side of the ball. For all the hot five-star hype, Jeremy, um, are we finally beginning to see what Zach Evans can be? Are are we going to get a taste of what the life is going to be like in, say, 2021 when he's got a whole year in the program under his belt? What do you see in the development, not only of Zach Evans, but you see see Miller and you see uh, Quentin Johnston coming along on a platform like this to close out the regular season? Man, how about those freshmen? It's like I, I told someone last night on Twitter, recruiting matters. Uh, when you get a guy like Evans, a guy like Johnston, I mean, those two guys alone are just – they're difference makers. And Kendra Miller finding a guy like him in the tall piney woods of East Texas, two-star kid, most – most uh, I think UTSA was looking at him as a linebacker. And TCU, that was the point where Dominic Richardson wasn't going to qualify, so they needed to find a guy. And 
Kendra Miller fell in their lap, and man, has that has that worked out? But it, starting off with Zach, I man, I'm so happy for that kid. I just just for multiple reasons, not just for what he's been able to do on the field, but um, just staying patient with the whole process. We weren't seeing a lot of them early in the season. People were going nuts. Fans were going nuts. Why is he not getting more carries? We started to find out more about why he wasn't getting more carries. He was still learning the system. He was out two times for close contacts with COVID, so he missed a significant amount of fall camp. But he's if, if, if you look at it now, he's got three consecutive starts, and I think that's what you would expect with a five-star running back that has his kind of talent. Uh, he's – He's learning the offense better. He's obviously a very hard runner. Everyone that watches him run, watches him bounce off guys, watches him uh, outrun defenders. Last night, that 75-yard run was just spectacular. It's like, you know, me and Billy were sitting next to each other in the press box. He bounced off the first guy, bounced off the second guy, and I think me and Billy both said at the same time, "Uh uh-oh, because we knew once he got around the edge, he was going to outrun. And if you watch him, he's just got those instincts. As soon as he gets in the clear, he switches the the ball from his right arm to his left arm. And that's that's just instincts you have as a running back that sometimes can't be taught. It seems to be easy to be to be taught, but some guys never pick it up. But just watching him run, watching Quentin Johnson go up and catch those passes and using his speed, and he's he's become more of a – favorite target for for Max. And, and this is going to sound crazy, and this is a long-winded answer, but this is going to sound crazy. I think Max likes throwing to Quentin more than he did Jalen Rager last year. I think he's even more comfortable throwing to him. He's obviously become, the last the last couple of weeks, one of those uh, targets Max loves throwing to. But those three guys right there, when you look at the box score and you see they've accounted for six scores and they're all true freshmen it just makes you shake your head and just think man the future looks really bright for that offense billy would you believe me if i told you quentin johnson has more yards receiving than anyone on oklahoma rambo um uh theo weiss hasselwood would you would you believe that i mean yeah i mean i would but i know oklahoma hasn't been quite what we expect him to be in years what they've been in years past but I mean seeing his progress and what he's done the last few weeks now that he's gotten back onto the field after missing what he missed the Kansas game I believe after that game, he's been phenomenal since since then uh, yeah I, he's become what we all uh, hyped him up to be expecting to be I kind of thought he'd be the next the next Josh Dotson he's uh, getting there faster than I even thought possible. So getting the true number one, wearing number one, and that dug into Johnson connection for the next uh, three years is going to be uh, just glorious. I mean, last night was attack of the killer freshman between how talented all the young, how impressive all the young guys were going last night, and just you you can't be disappointed. I know people are somehow going to be, uh, but you can't be disappointed in how this team is looking at this point in the season, especially springboarding into next year where you bring back pretty much everybody. So it should be a good time in twenty twenty one. Another thing, you know, that 89-yard touchdown run Miller had late in the game. I mean, we saw we saw his speed right there. That that the first 38-yard touchdown, no one even touched him and he just ran past everyone. But that 89-yard touchdown run, that was impressive. It showed off his speed. Uh I think TCU at that time had basically four walk-on receivers out there blocking for him, so that made it even more impressive, but we talk about the skill positions, Jeff. We talk about Zach Evans, we talk about Kendra and Quentin but if you noticed on that run the the five linemen out there four of them were were freshmen with Altreet Barlow uh Brandon Brown was playing center then you had Garrett Hayes and Mike Nichols uh all out there at the same time and 
when you look at Bar- all, all four of those guys are freshmen. Brown's a redshirt freshman, but the future looks bright when you look at the offensive line as well. Billy, I know you got rust and bloodlines, but what what did you take? What did you take away from Louisiana Tech, or or better said, how can we compare what the program is? How can we assess what TCU is after playing a program like this? I know they were off for a month. You know, they had a had a nice win up there in Denton, but what what can you take away considering who Louisiana Tech was, and what do you see from them as a measuring stick? Well, it's it's a it's a okay non-conference game like they're not SMU right like they're not as good as as SMU is this year uh it, a few years ago maybe it'd be more a compelling game but this year they're just not as good as they have been in, in years past and uh, I don't know I don't really take away from it but just how clean they look you take a lot from watching teams play that first game of the season like when they pre- play Prairie View A&M or Tennessee Tech to start a year right like oh this is gonna go beat these teams by 50 points and move on but you can see kind of how the team is gelling and how the team's looking at, and building confidence going forward that's why you normally play that game at the beginning of the year and not the end of the year because now it's like okay cool now we got two or three weeks off for a bowl game and you got then six or seven months off before you get back into practice so it's it's it'd be more relevant at the beginning of the year i think but either way you can take a lot from man these guys look really competent look like they've played a full year under their belt these freshmen uh duggan is in at the end of his second year now and you're starting to see uh him have more confidence and you're seeing the o-line gel the young guys that Jeremy just mentioned connecting with Quentin Johnson more. And that's a connection that they can build off of going forward, not just for the deep routes, but you can get some of the shorter routes and some more uh, really precise routes going forward based on the connection they're making right now. You know, I think we feel like an SEC team right now because you get to play a garbage team really late in the season and then rest your legs and then go go play a good game. So I, I what do they call it? SoCon Saturday, the Southern Conference or the South yeah, the Southern Conference, I think. So that's I guess that's what an SEC team feels like. The you know, Louisiana Louisiana Tech though, I mean, we're we we could talk about them in in their uh group of five program and as Billy said, they're not as good as years past, but they put up some points this year and I think from the very get go, from the even though we saw the crazy play call on their first drive, I don't think we none of us ever thought that it would be a close game. Um, some people were heading into this week thinking Louisiana Tech might give TCU a run for their money, especially after the way they played against North Texas last week. But TCU just completely dominated this game on both sides of the ball. And when you look at Louisiana Tech, it's not like they're a bunch of scrubs out there. I mean, Isaiah Graham was a four star that. Played at TCU, he had some he had some uh, good receptions. Uh, Smoke Harris is a guy that had some P five interest, wanted to stay close to home, and chose Louisiana Tech. And the the quarterbacks probably didn't play as as well as they have been all year. But it, it's it's one of those teams. It's 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 not as good as SMU, but it is it is a it is a program that if you look at G five, they're consistently winning between. Uh, you know, six to nine games a year. And what was their record last year, Billy? Didn't they win 10 games or something close to that? Yeah, I, think they won, I think they won 10. And I think the year before that, they also won 10 or 11 and didn't go to a bowl game because they refused to go to the uh, the Independence Bowl, which uh, which is oh, yeah. – They're like, no, we don't want to go play in that game. We'll go play somewhere else. But, yeah, I mean, they're normally, they're normally good for uh, – 
seven plus wins a year. So again, not a bad program, which is this year, not as good as they have been in years past. And uh, they don't have as, as last year, they beat Miami 14 to nothing in, in a, in a bowl game. So they're not terrible. They went 10 and three last year. So like they're, they're not bad. It's just this year they're down. They don't have the quarterback they've had the last couple of years. Uh, Jamar something or other were starting quarterback. So, uh, and of course, obviously prayers up for their quarterback after what happened last night. I'm sure we'll go oh, at one point. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, this is a game where you, 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 it's a measuring stick. It's a confidence booster. And uh, someone mentioned on Twitter, uh, man, it, we should go back to the Mountain West. We can play teams like this every week. I go, well, I mean, they're playing an SEC team in the bowl game, most likely. So it'll be the same scenario where they're playing another lower class team. So yeah. And that's what was most impressive to me is because you look at, you look at a game like this. I caught that. Okay. <laughs> I caught that. I was like, did, it, did I hear that? Yeah, I heard that. That was good. What did I miss? I completely missed something. I called the SEC a lower tier conference this year. Oh, okay. That's yeah. going to be great to listen back to. <laughs> but that's that's what was impressive about this game is because Louisiana Tech, they're they're a decent program. They've got a good coach and and Skip Holtz. Uh, he's he's turned that program around. And when you look at this top game, I think all of our predictions were pretty close. Billy, I think you had a nightmare a couple nights before and thought Louisiana Tech would play them close. And Jeff, I think you predicted maybe a 20 point win uh, for the frogs. And I predicted, I think a 20, 20, 24 point win, something like that. So I think we all kind of gave Louisiana tech a little bit of credit coming into the game that because not because we thought TCU was going to play bad, but just because we felt Louisiana tech may be one of those teams that even though they're G five, they still got really talented athletes. Um, I'm sure TCU fans would love to have a guy like smoke Harris, on their team running jet sweeps or or going out in the flats and, and catching those those passes uh, that he could turn into long gains. But for them to go out and win the game by 42 points, and as I mentioned earlier, just completely dominated on both sides of the ball, that that was impressive to see, uh, especially after they, they came off a pretty emotional win over Oklahoma State. And it just proves that, man, this team – uh, some someone mentioned it on the board. I, I really feel this team is playing for each other. They have each other's backs. They have the trust of the coaches. The coaches trust them. The players trust the coaches. And this team has won five of their last six games. And and you take away a, a stupid game up in Morgantown, West Virginia, where they just completely played really bad football. They've They've played extraordinarily well the last six weeks. Well, I'm going to pose this question to both of you, and Bill, you're going to go first. In this run of success, what do you? How would you summarize the Frogs' philosophy of offense? What is TCU trying to do when they have the ball, and and what is it that they're doing that's working? It's easy to say, "Hey, throw it to the six-four guy that can outrun everybody," or give it to Zach Evans. What do you see that the offense is doing and asserting itself to make possible on the offensive side of the ball that has contributed the, to to some sustained success since the frogs were one and three. I mean, you, you said it's too easy to say, but it seems like those are the answers, right? It's it's dug in. They're opening the ball. They're opening the playbook up a little bit more. He's throwing it deep more often. I mean, last week in Oklahoma State, we saw the seventy-one yard touchdown to Darius Davis. So in their last six quarters. What have they scored? Uh, Seventy-five points or something like that. So they're they're opening the playbook up more. Zach Evans has three straight starts and a couple hundred yard games in there. I I think it, it sounds simple, and but I think it's a simple 
answer, right? They're, they're, they're letting the kids play as MLB is trying to let their younger players uh, show more emotion and enthusiasm. I think on offense, it is getting the ball in the skill players' hands and making them do something, even though last night we saw Q have five catches and no one else had more than one. Um, I think that's a little disconcerting going forward is you can't, you don't have a real number two in case someone does shut down Q one of these days. Um, but I, I feel like it is right now at this stage of the year uh, with people, with teams really issue, uh, dealing with injuries and COVID issues and everything else like that, you're just letting your more talented players make plays and they're performing well for TCU. And, and yeah, the five of the last six, I think a lot of that has to do with how great the defense is playing too and the special teams, no less. I mean, they – uh, last night, Louisiana Tech started the ball what, seven times inside their own 17-yard line. That's a great recipe for success right off the bat. Jeremy, what's your assessment of how things have been clicking on offense and why? I, I, just, I just think they've asserted themselves in, into running the football more. I think uh, even last night, uh, we, we watched them just want to run the football effectively. I think Max only threw 13 passes. And that's really what's become their bread and butter over the last few weeks. Everyone talks about, well, they're running, their their rushing stats are better because they can't pass the ball. Well, who cares? I mean, they're they're running the football effectively. Every game they've won, they've they've ran the ball very well. They've gone way over uh, what what the opponents are allowing on defense. And I think last night we saw a stat where. The last the last six game or last five games before last night, TCU's rushing average had gone up 100 yards per game. But I think the success of uh, running the football has opened up the passing game a little bit more. Quentin Johnston uh, becoming a vertical threat, and Max really trying to go out there and find him. Whether it's a, a completion or not, it still takes the top off the defense, and they can't focus solely on the run. So I think Quentin Johnston's emergent emergence has helped uh, tremendously. I think them as billy mentioned earlier just going vertical overall i mean darius had a long pass last week that 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 he caught and against kansas they went downfield uh two or three times uh for long completions i think maybe every completion was a long completion against kansas but they're they're really starting to uh try to take the top off the defense vertically and i think it's helped the run game and obviously we we go back and we've talked about it we've cussed and discussed about it but the offensive line has simply played better, and I think right now the offensive line is is doing a better job of creating run lanes and getting those running backs uh, some yardage, and that's what you got to go with. If they're not doing a great job protecting Max right now, why would you keep calling pass play? So right now the bread and butter for the offense is running, and uh, hopefully that opens up the passing game even more. Yeah, my professional analysis is they're doing better because the players are playing better. <laughs> but I feel like you see these young guys, and I, I think I think what I do love about that three-headed monster yesterday, you got a five-star running back that was clearly a prize recruit. Before him, the prize recruit was Quentin Johnston, and then you got a two-star that nobody knew who they were. You know, how many times has a kid had one offer from like UTSA, and then TCU scoops in at the last minute, and then all of a sudden he's flourishing? That is actually going to be the, the the combination, the formula for for the frogs to continue to compete in the big 12, they have to recruit. They have to recruit out recruit everybody except Texas and OU. And they still have to be able to use that skill Patterson has, which is to go and find a guy like Miller and be able to let him be unleashed because they're running the ball. Like they have, like I haven't seen them run it in a long, long time. The, the funny thing coach has said, and and Billy, you might've caught this a couple of times after the game, he'll, 
he'll say something about why we will ask why he feels that the team is playing better. And he, he uses this line. It's addition by subtraction. And he, he just, he kind of says that based on getting the younger players involved. I don't know if he's trying to send a subliminal message of some of our older guys weren't buying in or, or, or whatnot, but he just he just says that sometimes it you just have to put the ball in the hands of the younger players and, and see what they they can do, and he even said it last night. This is the exact exact quote. Uh, I think I think we've at, I think we've added. Uh, he says I think we've had addition by subtraction. I think the younger guys have all grown up. The guys in that room are so much stronger and more mature than what they were in August. This younger group has got, grown up and done their thing and got ready to go. So if you look at that or listen to that, you've got to think, man, he might be he might be building up those younger players more than than we know right now. We've noticed a lot, like it's not just on this football team, but it seems to be uh, in general with with kids and generations, right, where uh, they want the the satisfaction immediately. They want to be told they're the greatest. And a lot of these kids we see on Twitter, uh, they make several minute long videos announcing their commitment or uh, they, they, hey, get me to 7,000 followers or whatever these kids are saying on Twitter. It's about that gratification. And I think GP is an old school coach. And we learned a lot about that. I think talking to Oshawn Mathis last night, talking about how he really thrives when he gets pushed, even when like he knew that that kind of pushing was not something he got in high school. What GP's giving him, it's become helping become a monster and, and kind of the Hulk is kind of what he called himself in the interview last night about it. And that's just the style of coaching that GP's done his whole career. And if you kind of uh, can't take the heat and get out of the kitchen, it seems like, and, and uh, they're trying to clean that kitchen out. Yeah, well, to take that lead, Billy, let's flip over to the other side of the ball because I think you know we have all of these highly rated. Uh, Uh, recruits on offense that we want to celebrate and they're obviously putting up points and that's great. We look at the defense that I think played a great game against the team that I know is down a little bit, but also is known for their offense. You've got almost too many people to pick from. You got Oshan, you got Caesar. I thought D winners played a really good game. I was really uh, glad to see uh, Van Zant get in there and and, and make some great hits. What, what do you see on the def- – who do you see on the defensive side of the ball that has responded to coaching as the season has gone on, that has clearly um, stepped up and moved beyond the instant gratification moment but said, I want somebody in my face because that's going to motivate me on Saturday? Which well, Billy, let's start with you. Who are you seeing? You already mentioned O'Shawn. Anybody else on your mind? Well, it's him and, and his counterpart. I think it's him and Corey Coleman for sure. I've been the two guys we've seen the most this year progress from the last, I don't know why I said progress to the progress, but they've improved so much the last like six weeks and how they're playing the game of football. Oshawn Mathis, I think we saw this last year too. He was really slow the first few weeks of the year and then stepped up and finished the season really strong. The year before was his redshirt freshman seasons. We only played four games, looked good in those four games. So now you can kind of play the whole package, play the whole 10 to 12 to 13, maybe 15. Who knows, I don't know how many games you're going to play next year. But Oshawn, we're seeing a guy really take that next step. And, and Kari Coleman's gone, gone from uh, a guy that was about to go to Kansas to the last second TCU saving him from them uh, and, and putting him in this defense. And he's really thrived. And I think he's leading the team in tackles for loss. or He's among the, fre- the nationwide freshman leaders in tackle for loss. So those two guys are really blossoming this year for sure. And I, re- and I think the other guy you mentioned, CJ Caesar, is an, another guy that we weren't sure – 
really how much he played. I think it was the fourth or maybe, yeah, probably the fourth corner, corner coming into the season. And he comes in, has two picks last night. He left with an injury, but I think they're hoping uh, he'll be back for the bowl game. So, yeah, he's another guy that's, I think, really blossomed under this kind of a intense tutelage that you get in GP's defense. Jeremy, what are you seeing on the other side of the ball from uh, GP lighting up the defense the second half of the season? I mean, Billy stated right off the bat, O'Shawn Mathis is playing really good, and it was funny to listen to him talk last night about how Coach Patterson pushes him. Uh, if you look at what O'Shawn Mathis has done, and I did a story on this today, since that Oklahoma game, he's recorded a sack in, a sack in six straight games. He's recorded multiple sacks in four of those games, and he's got – 11 and a half sacks and when you look at his two-year uh two-year mark i mean he's he's ahead of the pace that jerry hughes and uh bo Schobel and all these other greats i mean lj collier ben Benegu, he's he's on pace to to have more sacks than those guys so it kind of makes you go back and look at what coach p said last year about how or before uh mathis's uh retro freshman season how he felt that he could be one of the top defensive ends ever to put on a TCU uniform, if not the top guy. But I think the improved play for Mathis, when you talk about him, you've also got to talk about Kari Coleman because I think Kari Coleman's emergence has helped Mathis in a tremendous way. And Billy said he's he's right right up there near the top of the Big 12 and tackles for loss. I think he's, he's either first or second right now. He's probably going to get a ton of votes for the newcomer uh, of the year on defense for the Big 12. If he doesn't get it, I would like to find. I, I would just like to see who people that do this voting uh, find that's a better player than than what Kari Coleman has 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 been. You've had strong linebacker play all year, Garrett Wallow and, and D Winters. D Winters has has just proven that he deserved that job. Him and Garrett Wallow have played tremendous uh, alongside each other. And it it sounds crazy. The, we knew what the safeties were coming into the season, but we. If you would have said that TCU would be down to basically their fourth string corner and they're still able to to you know slow down a, an opponent's passing game, I think they're fourth or fifth right now in the Big Twelve and in, in passing yards allowed. That's tremendous. And we talked about it last week. Talked about the job Jeremy Modkins has done about getting those guys prepared. And around TCU, it's the next guy up mentality. And and I think CJ Caesar. For what he's had to deal with, uh, some of the plays he's given up, touchdowns, he gave up touchdown to Oklahoma State last week, and for him to come out and and play the way he did, man, you can't be you can't be more proud of a kid to have his moment um, and and really shine out there. He he played a a really good game, but if you just look up and down the list of, of guys that have made plays, you you can easily name pretty much every starter on the defense. You can you can say something about him that has helped this defense. And when you look at it for next year, you only really lose two of those guys with uh, Wallow and, and Merrick uh, likely uh, going to the NFL draft. But the future looks bright on both sides of the ball, and I think especially on defense it looks really good. You know, I have to say this. You mentioned the Shovel brothers. Isn't it about time for some of their boys to be recruited? They've got to be getting up there. They've got to be getting up there. I'm going to start looking at the uh, Columbus football roster because I think that's where they live. Yeah. They live somewhere down there, but I'm going to have to start looking at that Columbus football roster just to to keep an eye out for that. 
one of them's got to be called Trey. I think that's just the law. So I'll be interested to see that. And you know, we we could we could exhaust we could we could spend another half hour talking about the defensive side of the ball. But I think Jeremy, what you said is what sums it up for me. So many of these guys are returning next year. And hopefully, hey, a healthy Noah Daniels is returning. Hopefully, a healthy Corey Bethley is returning. And so you stick those two guys in there on top of a defense that already feels like it's begun to come together this second half of the season. You have to feel good about what the Frogs are accomplishing on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Billy, you mentioned it. Let's just take a moment here and acknowledge uh, that was a brutal injury. That was an absolutely brutal injury for, uh, oh gosh, Luke Anthony. Luke Anthony. I'm sorry, Luke Anthony. He was from Fort Worth, uh, from All Saints Fort Worth, is where he played high school. Was at ACU and then transferred to La Tech, from what I understand. So, I, I just hated seeing that. What was you guys were able to see it the whole time? We cut away to commercial. What was what was there? Seemed like there was a lot of emotion on the field as, as the team gathered around him. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it led to a, roughly, what, a 20-minute stop, as you think, Jeremy, like of, of the play and, and everyone. I mean, it's it, – I mean, a lot of Cowboys fans listen to this. It was very much like when Dak went down. You're watching uh, a quarterback, and not just – it's not just like a backup uh, third-string offensive lineman. It's the quarterback, and that's the, supposed to be the, the leader of the team. These are the guys that, that get looked, looked up to the most, and he's a senior. He's a grad transfer. Um, so one of my cousins – that I mentioned with Louisiana Tech was actually their long snapper two years ago, um, and he's he said when he saw it he threw his phone across the t- across the room like he was so uh, like angry and disappointed and sad to see that happen to one of his one of his guys. So it's it's uh, it's tough to see one of your one of your again friends or loose connections go down and, and the teams uh, both teams I think showed plenty of respect to to it and we were discussing in the press box of what. Uh, the the most severe injuries we've seen in person or I mean that that's easily it for me I don't think I've seen anything worse than that live and uh, yeah it just it really just put a real bummer on the rest of the game I know Kendrick Miller had that 89 yard touchdown run I, I didn't care I don't I don't think anybody cared at that point on because uh, with two minutes left you just see something tragic like that you just like all right let's just let's just take a couple of knees and get out of here but uh, it really just I wish him a speedy recovery I think his playing days are I think they were done regardless of injury or not. I think this is his last year. Um, but either way, I mean, just wish him the best going forward in the rest of his life. Yeah. I was, was lucky. I was lucky because I didn't see it happen. I had to take a trip to the men's room. But when I came back, I saw he was laying on the ground. I had to ask Billy, hey, what happened? And uh, Billy and Drew said that, man, he he it's nasty. It's bad. You don't want it. They're not going to show it. They're not going to show replay again. So – when you're at the field, and, and, and maybe Billy feels the same way, but I know it, me in particular, sometimes when you're at the at the games, you you don't see some things that you, you would see on TV. And as I'm watching there from the press box, it wasn't – you know, I, I was watching both both teams, and, and both teams – I mean, Louisiana Tech, you just – your your heart uh, dropped for them because they're losing their leader, they're losing their friend, and – uh, I think TCU showed a tremendous amount of respect, but I didn't get to see a, a, a whole lot of it because um, we're way up in the press box. So you don't get to see a close view. But when I watched the replay on TV today and I saw it happen and I knew it was coming, I knew it was coming eventually. And, and I saw it happen and I just, you know, my heart slumped for, for Luke. And, and, but the, the thing I think hurt even worse was just the faces of those Louisiana tech players, Isaiah Graham, you could tell, 
it really, really affected him. And it affected a lot of those Louisiana Tech players. Um, it was quiet there at the stadium. You you could hear a pin drop. Um, the TV showed that pretty well. I mean, it, it was extremely quiet. But uh, I didn't realize Coach Patterson was basically out there next to the cart the whole time. Um, that that showed uh, just, I mean, that that's awesome to see an opposing head coach do that. TCU players were obviously shook up as well. They were watching closely. And, um, man, it just – you know, the sportsmanships from, from both sides. And, and the thing that was really cool is when Louisiana tech players, it's basically as soon as they got Luke on the cart, they all ran over there. They all ran over there to him. We're, we're shaking his hand and, and uh, giving him good thoughts. And, you know, he gave out a big smile. That was something that I didn't get to see when we were there at the stadium. You, you could see that and you're just like, man, that's, that's awesome. That, He's going through such a tremendous pain, and, and yet he's still he's still there for his team. He's still giving off a smile. Luke, I, you know, through the whole recruiting process, TCU didn't really recruit him, but being around All Saints as much as I was, and, and Coach Aaron Beck, he is by far one of my favorite high school coaches. Uh, he he might even be my favorite high school coach I deal with. He is just a tremendous coach. Loves his players. Always does so much for his players to make sure they get notice and, and attention and and he told me you know when I first met Luke he had transferred over to All Saints said he is a great kid and I had a chance to to talk to Luke and, and Luke knew I covered TCU and he knew TCU wasn't really showing interest but he always just would always just be so outgoing just just such a great kid and you hate it for you hate uh for someone to go through that that you know is is such a great kid but I have no doubt in my mind that he'll be one of those guys that will to will work hard to to try to recover, and the the most important thing for him, I don't think his spirit's going to be shattered with this. I think he he has that kind of uh, uh, mentality to go out there and 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 try to get healed up and and try to do what he can to make sure he he walks again and and uh, can maybe even play some football again. I can't go without a humble brag here. Um, all Saints Fort Worth former coach Jeff Mitchell. So I just have to drop that in there. Hey, yeah, I coached that. I, I worked there for two years when I was in seminary. So I didn't know that. I know. Very cool, I, Jeff. Yeah, I know. I know. They were uh, they, any game they won um, was in spite of me. Every game they lost was because of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Let's let's bounce around the country a little bit here, and let's. And first of all, anything else from this game you want to say? We'll bounce around the country a little bit, and then we're going to hit you on a little bit of recruiting, Jeremy. Anything else from TCU, Louisiana Tech? It was it was a dominating win. I'm excited to see who they play in the bowl game and see if they can build off this going forward. It's setting the stage for 2021 beautifully, I think. Get you think ready. A, really, you think a bowl win's going to get them ranked to end the season? I mean, it it should, but the rankings don't matter, right? Like you have the rank, they'll have the the new polls come out on Tuesday, then those are the actually the least important rankings that are going to come out because then the real polls come out on Sunday, and that's when that actually matters. So they could put TCU at two in this this Tuesday, and that's all that matters. Like it, just put whoever you want at number one because it won't matter till the final day of. So uh, I, rankings I've been totally disheartened by, and and uh, uh, I don't have that childlike spirit and desire to see them ever again. Fair enough. All right. Well, Billy still pisses me off. 
I've, I've told someone last night on Twitter, I was still bitter about it. And I know I said, I'm go, I will go to my grave bitter. And he replied, you should. <laughs> so yes, I'm with you. Billy, didn't you make a comment last night in the press box about winning a game by 52 and still dropping three spots? Yeah, I did. It, like, I, I've got that tattooed on my back. You can win by 52 points and still drop three spots in the polls. Yeah. It takes up most of my lower back. Well, we're going to talk about the rankings here in a second, but um, let's look around the rest of the country. Anything from the games that you guys saw? Because I just want to kick it off with one question. Have either of you ever seen a shoe thrown to cost your team a playoff spot? No. What did I miss? Did you (laughs) – the LSU-Florida game? (laughs) Oh, we should get Coach O's comments on this. We sh- we should get Coach O's comments. Do we do we have him on the line there? Do we have Coach O? I guess not. I guess not. Our connection guess- to Baton Rouge isn't very. Our good. connection to Baton Rouge is bad. Yeah, LSU. Uh, you know, Florida shuts down LSU. They get a chance to get the ball back to tie the uh, to to win the game, and then they stick them on third down. A guy's shoe comes off. And one of the D-backs picks up the shoe and throws it 20 yards and gets an unsportsmanlike conduct. Oh, man. Start penalty. LSU kicks a 57-yard field goal to win the game. Wow. Yeah, I heard they had a long field goal to win it. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't I didn't hear the setup, though. Yeah, it was beautiful. So that it was is- a good game. Uh, UCLA-LSU was a good game. Uh, Oklahoma State laid the wood to Baylor. I really enjoyed that. But yeah, we predicted that. that one, didn't we? Yeah, there wasn't much going on around the country. Did you see the uh, ending of the uh, Ball State Western Michigan game? I only saw the replays, and um, that it, they did have an illegal forward pass, yes. one, but that was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. Man, thank thank God for review for that. I think we lost Billy. I think we did too. We did lose Billy. He he just texted me and said, "Did you all just kick Coach O off?" So, <laughs> no, I guess yeah, we lost him. We did lose him. Well, well, when he comes back in, we'll uh, we'll throw it to Coach O. Uh, well, let's go ahead and um, let's. I was I wanted to talk about the rankings, but let's go ahead and get into recruiting since you're the you're the guru on that, Jeremy. Um, so the frogs are are looking at a couple of commits. We got a, who are some guys that we should keep an eye on that might be making some noise. I know you in your language, you never want to steal a kid's thunder. You want to give the kid his moment. But who are two or three players the frogs should be looking at? Because hey, signing day is this week. Early signing day is this week. Who should we keep an eye on? Well, obviously you had Marvin Covington commit today, so that's that's one. Um, I think everyone as as much as I tried to. Keep it quiet. Uh, a lot of guys picked up on a hint really quick, and then I was still trying to keep it quiet. And then, then Steve came on the board, and I guess he didn't look at other threads. And basically, said, "I don't think Sam Jackson will be signing with with Purdue." And some people were like, "Oh, you don't say." But uh, I, I think Sam Jackson. I think Sam Jackson is a is a very good possibility for TCU. They they feel really good about it. Um, the uh, the other kid to keep an eye on, Amante Walk- uh, Watkins. I think uh, Jeremy Watkins has re- done a really good job with him as well. Um, so he would be one guy to keep uh, keep an eye on. And it might sound crazy to say it right now, but with all the uh, question marks going on at Virginia Tech right now, if you if you look at sorry, my phone's going crazy. I'm trying to set it to vibrate. If you look at uh, 
what could happen there if 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 Fuente's out, then you've got to look at the possibility of a guy like Daywan Lofton reconsidering some things. So um, I, I do know they still want to take another receiver. They want to take a slot receiver. They want to take uh, maybe another outside guy. Um, but for the most part, I know people are throwing their hands up in the air. What about offensive linemen? Um, they they did offer an offensive lineman last week. I don't feel really good about their chances. It feels like he's going to be kind of leaning toward SMU because he's a teammate of, of Preston Stone. But um, I, I do feel that some of these uh, scholarships they'll have remaining will go to, to graduate transfers or transfers in general, um, especially for some of those guys up front. So uh, all that's not lost on the offensive line recruiting, just got to kind of be patient with it all. So we'll have early signing day. You mentioned a few guys that we need to keep an eye on. When we look at uh, the second signing day in February, that seems to be very anticlimactic. What? Tell us what happens. Do they kind of uh, do a, a resorting, a re-ranking internally? Who are new targets? Who are guys that didn't sign that we thought were going to sign? Um, who are some guys that have to you know put in a little extra classwork before they're able to do it? What goes on between now and early signing day or second signing day? Well, the, the main focus is to make sure you get your commitments that you have now all signed up so they can focus on those guys that haven't signed yet. Um, so it sounds like right now all nine guys that they have committed are going to be signing on, on December 16th. Um, that's great news for them because then they can focus on the, the few remaining targets they have. They may They may have some targets right now that they haven't offered that they're still evaluating. Uh, and sometimes – you may have uh, – it, it could be an offensive player, defensive player, and sometimes necessarily it doesn't mean just because it's an offensive player that it's just the offense evaluating. Sometimes they do a full uh, full team coaching evaluation where the, where the whole staff will watch a kid and they kind of all uh, discuss could he fit into the program, is, is he really what we need on this side of the ball, and – they they kind of make a decision that way. It's kind of how it came down with Kendra Miller last year. You know, he was uh, a great running back prospect. Um, some people locked him as a linebacker, and it just came down to it where, it, you know, you got to take an athlete like that. No matter what you bring him in as, you just got to take him because he's such such a good football player. But they'll, they'll focus on um, – I don't think it's going to necessarily be finding new recruits. There are always some recruits that – slip through the cracks and the next thing you know in january they pick up 10 to 15 offers um i can't remember the kid's name last year from duncanville the cornerback he basically had three offers and then all of a sudden in january he blew up and he ended up signing with missouri and it it, you're always going to have kids like that that come out of the blue and and people are gonna get mad at tc's coaching staff because they didn't offer when all these other schools offer, but TCU is just a little bit different when it comes to the valuation process. They don't um, I always say they don't chase offers. And when I, when I say that, I, what I'm saying is they don't chase what other schools are doing. They don't really care if Texas is offering, if Texas tech is offering, if Baylor's offering, if Alabama's offering, they don't really care. They're going to trust their own evaluation. So um, I would say right now they're going to focus on, uh, the transfers, trying to get some of those guys in. And what really sucks about the whole thing is just not being able to have these kids on campus. So really you're going to try to get the kids that you already have relationships with and 
that you know uh, some of these kids have already seen campus. They've obviously seen it virtually. Hopefully they've seen it virtually, but um, the biggest part in all this is just going to be the relationships and, and guys they, they've already built a pretty good bond with. Uh, that's a good update. I'll be interested to see what happens between early signing day and second signing day. I, I my uninformed, I'm not, I don't have my nose to the ground like uh, Billy or even like, you know, especially like you about recruiting. I think there's some people that are going to get cold feet because they made a commitment and they still haven't been to the campus and they're going to have a winter, a winter break in front of them. And mom is going to be like, do you really want to go there? We can drive down to this other place and you can see it. They can't greet us, but we can at least walk around the campus and see what things are like. So I, I think there's going to be a handful of guys. And I don't say cold feet is a pejorative. I say uh, I need a little more time to make a life changing decision. So we'll the one thing I would say that could help TCU with local kids is we have no idea if, if we're going to be going through the same things that we went through earlier this year and even right now with with covid we don't know if there's going to be travel restrictions we don't know if there's still going to be dead periods so for a kid let's let's say for instance a kid and i'm i'll I'll use lofton for example if lofton stays with virginia tech he signs with virginia tech he's never seen the campus he, he doesn't know what Blacksburg is like. I mean, he's if, if he's never visited Blacksburg, I for me, it would be very hard to go to a school that I've never seen. And I even say the same thing about Eric McAllister here in Azle. He's committed to Boise State. He's never been to Idaho. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. Oh, that- Nelly, is there going to be a difference between? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about kids choosing schools – and that's where I go back to relationships. Some of these kids are just choosing these schools because of relationships. If we're going through the same situation that we're going through right now, uh, this time next season, and you're still going to have travel restrictions, it's or, or restrictions with a lot of things, it's going to get real lonely for some of these kids that are going thousands of miles away from home. Um, if their family can't come see them, see them play, uh, if you can't have fans in the stands and and all these things that we currently have right now, that's why I was even talking to Covington about it, Covington about it because when he dropped his top five, he said, "If you look at my top five, they they were all schools close to home because I don't know I, the relationships I have are with these guys that are close to home because." I've, I've been to those schools and I couldn't visit anywhere else. I couldn't go anywhere else. I mean, he had a Miami offer, but he couldn't go to Miami because he wasn't allowed to visit. So he has no idea what Miami looks like. He's not going to choose a school because he's heard the hurricanes are good and they won national championships back in the day. He needs to build that relationship. He needs to see if he even likes Miami. So that's, that's one of the reasons why Miami wasn't even in his top five. But for these kids that are, that are local kids that are going thousands of miles away. I think reality is going to slap them across the face once they get on campus. And once they're away from their family for a few months, and if we still have these restrictions, it's going to get really, really hard for them. Well, we'll be interested to see what happens between now and early signing day. And we will have you covered right leading up to the second signing day. All right, Billy, we got you back there, bud. 
Uh, yeah, I think I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay. on to take over the podcast, and I had to fight him real quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, coach. Go, 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 Patterson. How you doing today? Well, we got a big win last night over Louisiana Tech. So how about that? But we 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 got we got a we got a wild shoe down in Florida down in Louisiana down in Florida. We had no problem winning the the hard the, the haze and the fog. We had no problem kicking the field goal winning the, the, the football. Go 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 tags. Well, yeah, because someone threw a shoe halfway across the field. Yeah, well, the the Mac Mac, Mac Duggan can't throw the ball nowhere. We can throw a shoe, but Doug, Duggan can't throw no football. <laughs> I can't come back for that one. Uh, man, you we're gonna this is uh this may be here to stay for a while. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do we'll do Jeopardy with uh Coach P and Coach Celebrity Jeopardy with uh <laughs> That's right, I'll play Sean Connery. Uh give me one give me win by one point for two hundred dollars. <laughs> what is the worst statement that you could make? <laughs> Uh, Billy, we we, we kind of kicked around 2014. We've talked enough about that. Let's talk about 2020 in this top four. How comfortable do you feel with a 6-0 and Ohio State team getting into the playoff? Uh, uh, potentially, we, don't, we haven't been talking about this till last night, or I, I, I didn't even discover it because I didn't even remember the Pac-12 was playing. USC is undefeated going into the Pac-12 title game. They could be undefeated at 6-0. and what, what If you were on the committee, how would you assess a team that like like Florida or like Texas A and M? Let's say something about Texas A and M. They are going to probably finish nine and one. How do you stack up a nine and one resume against a six and zero resume of a conference champion? Because um, we're probably going to. I think Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame. You're going to have two what ten win teams, or two ten win teams, or nine win teams with one loss, and Notre Dame and Clemson. Obviously, Bama's just going to roll over Florida. How would you assess all of this with these clearly modified, truncated, and put to, taped together schedules? I I don't know I don't know how they do it, but I also don't know how you you credit a team that's only played five games and hasn't looked particularly good in any of them either, right? They haven't played great. USC I think has had to come back and win in the last minute of pretty much every game too, so they're also not looking very strong in my opinion. I I mean give it to just. This year, this year be different. Give it to Cincinnati. Why not? They seem awfully complete. Uh, they seem to be a good story. Or AM. I think AM, uh, their one loss was to Alabama, but I think everyone's going to lose to Alabama this year. They did lose 52 to 24 in that game. So that is kind of a, a thorough beating there. But give it, I mean, this year be different. Be weird. Let Cincinnati in. Let them have a good time. Let them go, uh, go play Alabama and lose by 50 points. That's what everyone else would do anyway. So uh, I, I'd credit someone that got to play. Uh, more than half of their season, at least, because it seems like uh, the data points matter when it when it favors uh, certain teams, but it doesn't matter when it doesn't favor some other teams. So there seems to be a real uh, cluster over there with the committee. So, yeah, I, I I have a hard time with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and here's why. You know, they came out and you know, especially the Big Ten, and they said they announced we are not playing football for safety reasons. You know, I can tell you that's a justifiable decision. If they, you know, clearly they 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 haven't been able to keep their schedule. They're they're not able to meet the minimum games, and they had to go back and rewrite their schedule. You know, the 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 virus is raging across the the heartland up there. <clears throat> so if they thought it was best for them to not play, they should have stuck with that decision. 
But, you know, the, the teams in the South wanted to play, and, and that was their decision. And they I think they've done okay keeping everybody safe to the best of their ability. There's, there's always risk involved. But what they can't do is watch everybody else say, hey, you know what, I think we can do this, and then come in and play, in some cases, almost half a season compared to everybody else, and then say, oh, but we need our 6-0 and team to uh, get into the playoff. Because what we know Ohio State is capable of is laying an egg against Iowa, is laying a game against Purdue. And when you don't have um, 12 games in 14 weeks or, or 13 games in 15 weeks or whatever it is, you reduce the risk of that rando loss that always seems to come to Ohio State or whoever's trying to make, you know, last year it was, um, was it Oregon that lost to Arizona State? So you don't have those kind of losses that are out there. And that's the thing that drives me nuts. You know, if you just think, oh, Ohio State's got one of the top three classes every year, then they should have just put them in the playoff in August. So that that's the frustration that I have. How do you compare those things? And I don't want to reward their leadership for their inability to stick with a tough choice. If they thought it was best to not play, I don't think there was any science that changed between August 20th and September 20th. I think they just said, oh, crap, we're going to lose a bunch of money. So that's that's my assessment of that because I'm kind of an anti-Big Ten guy. I know it's easy to hate on the SEC. I grew up in the Big Ten territory. I hate the Big Ten, absolutely hate the Big Ten and hate their fans. So. That's how I'd stack it up is just no to Pac-10 or no to Pac-12, no to Pac-10, Big Ten. And I would probably put Cincinnati in there as well. So, Jeremy, how do you shake out on that? Hello. Do we lose Jeremy too? Jeremy too. All right. Hey. I don't know. I'm here. Sorry. I had... I coughed up a little bit and I, I had myself on mute. So, and oh, I was listening patient to you guys. Okay. Hey, you can always, a uh, loogie delay is always acceptable. I still get these little coughs now and then I'm, uh, I'm 90%. I'm, 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 I'm on the road to full recovery, but I still get coughed up a little bit. Anyhow, I, I think Alabama is obviously, they've proven they're in this Notre Dame Clemson game. I, I think if it's a close game, I, I think both teams are in. I I can't sit there and look at a playoff and and see a eleven and zero Alabama, a possible eleven uh, zero or ten and one Notre Dame or ten and one Clemson, uh, and see Ohio State sitting there with a six and one record. I, I just I don't believe in that. I don't I don't believe that Ohio State should be rewarded just because they're undefeated to 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 have a playoff spot. I I don't. Um I don't think I've seen enough of them this year to say that they're one of the top four teams in college football. I'm kind of with Billy. You give uh, a program like Cincinnati a chance, even even Texas AM is is Crazy as it sounds to say that Texas A&M, they have one loss and they, they got beat like a drum to Alabama, but Alabama has been doing that to everyone this year. So I, I can't see why they wouldn't let a team like Texas A&M go in there or even a team like Iowa state. Could this be the year that we see a two loss team make the playoffs? Because right now Iowa state, I think people, if, I think they look beyond just what they've done on the field, and I think people really, really like Matt Campbell. 
I think they love the job that he's been able to do up there at Iowa State. Oklahoma's been playing really good lately. They've been playing really, really good defense. I think if Iowa State can beat Oklahoma again, they might even have an argument. But above anything, the one thing I don't like would to be would to 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 see a six and zero Ohio State team in there. I I just couldn't get past, get past that. There's there's no way. Um, play more games, and I know obviously it's not their fault. Some game, one game they had to cancel. Michigan canceled their game because of COVID. I know it's such a tough season, but I also feel like these teams that have that have played other games um, should be rewarded, especially teams like Notre Dame and Clemson and and A and A&M and M and even Iowa State and Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's still sitting there undefeated. So uh, I I think it's uh, going to be a hard selection for the committee. No one's ever happy when they make their selections, but. To me, if they really want to get it right, I don't put Ohio State in there. Nope, I don't put Ohio State in there either. I, I say go Bearcats. Stick them. You know, if they, if they can't get a G five team in this year, they might as well just drop out. It's a joke. So I say good for Cincinnati. Give them a shot. What would y'all say if Iowa State beat Oklahoma thirty five to ten this weekend? Go Bearcats. I'd say go Bearcats. No, there's no way Ohio. I, I love Iowa State. I love Matt Campbell. Um, they they lost to Louisiana by double digits at home. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I it, it it shouldn't make them. Uh, they're a top ten team, but I, when you're getting down to that between fifth and and uh, the fifth and sixth and four spot, they they can't get into that four spot. They shouldn't jump a And M. I can say that they should not jump a And M. They got two losses, and that Oklahoma State loss uh, that was. You know that that it was a you know I, I don't I think that was kind of disqualifying on top. If it was just Oklahoma State, I could see him being in the mix for sure, but not with that loss to Louisiana. Well, Coastal Carolina, here's uh, Central Florida. Claim, yeah, claim oh. defeated national championship. If I'm if I'm Coastal Carolina and I you know they beat Louisiana in the Sun Belt title game and then go and win their bowl game, man, print those T-shirts, baby. I don't care. I'm all for it. I, I was, I was, I loved it when UCF did went rogue and named themselves national champions. I was all for that. I know some people didn't like it, but I was all for it because I've got a 2010 national championship banner hanging in my garage. So, you know, the thing about Iowa State losing to Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns are still having a great year, and Billy Napier's on a ton of these openings right now. Um, what are they? Ten and one. Is Louisiana yeah, only losses to Coastal, I think. Yeah, it's not bad. No, it's not. So it's not I mean, it's obviously bad to lose to a G5, but, you know, back in the day when teams lost to TCU when they were in the Mountain West, it wasn't really considered a bad loss because TCU was so dominant. And that could be what we're seeing with Louisiana right now. Well, one last thing on the national scene. Did you see Gus Malzahn was fired today? Yep. Oh, man. Another, another program spending millions of dollars to get rid of their coaching and, and coaching staff um, while they're laying off uh, professors and having to downgrade other sports um, and, and not play other sports because they got to fire their coach after a bad season. Six and four. They won yesterday. They beat Mississippi State, and then they fired Gus. Who is going to – you know, my only the only person I think they should hire is Lane Kiffin. 
I say, I say give Lane all the toys. You know he's going to beat Saban once, or at least it'll be good television. So He would probably take it. Oh, I know he would. I know he would. I, I would love it. And I would love it for the old Miss fans to be rented for one season and then jump. So. Well, it'd be just like when he was at Tennessee and you had all those pictures of him looking like a deer in headlights after he was there, what, one year? Mm-hmm. And took the USC job. Yeah, um, took USC. Uh, all right, everybody. We appreciate you listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com. Become a subscriber. Now is the time to sign up and join our site. We're sprinting towards the first signing day, and you're going to want to be there for all the drama for the second signing day that comes in February. Also, information, uh, uh, little little teasers that Jeremy will put out about what's going on re- with recruiting. He might have some insight in a couple of days of what bowl we're going to. You're going to want to be a part of our site. We're so glad to have Billy Wessels with us now, putting out good content. You missed some great articles about TCU players' connection to the boot. You need to get on and get his content as well. Also, go and find uh, the Frogcast on your podcast app of choice. Give us a rating, a review, subscribe. We try to get this into your feed every Monday morning for your um, Monday commute. Give you a chance to relish the Horn Frog victory over Louisiana Tech. So until we get back together, for Billy Wessels, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.